fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier. Hey, welcome. It's such an honor to have you along for the ride with us today for our pre-Friday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. And man, do we have a lot to talk about today. There's no way we're going to get to all of it in an hour, so we'll do our darndest as usual, but welcome into it. This is The Voice Reason again. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station, broadcasting all over the place, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, it's great to have you, your millennial general, reporting for duty like we do every single day. Have no fear. The Voice of Reason is here. And we're going to have some fun today. Bottom of this hour, Mark Morano. He'll be joining us. He is an author of multiple books. He's also the head of the organization known as CFACT. C-F-A-C-T. C-F-A-C-T dot O-R-G. You can go check them out. CFACT. They battle climate initiatives in the nation. We'll talk about food supply. We'll talk about energy, transportation, and why there's an ongoing intentional attack to disrupt these industries. Why? What's going on? And how do we battle it? We'll do some of that coming up with Mark at the bottom of this hour show of hands how many people watched the presidential rally donald trump rally that happened in florida last night show of hands how many people watched the presidential debate for the republican side last night how many people ended up watching both of them or neither of them and how many of them tried to blend the two together apparently because well there was apparently a lot of Donald Trump supporters at the debate last night and they wanted to make sure that they were heard as well. Okay, so that was awesome you guys, but that's the last time we're going to do that. Right? <laughs> because we really 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 want to hear from these candidates and they worked really hard for us tonight, okay? Hot damn, I didn't know that you... There it is. So That was Benny Johnson uh, from his uh, Instagram video. But apparently during the commercial breaks that happened during the presidential debate last night, they were chanting Trump during the entire thing, which was weird why the very first question out of the gate that the moderators would ask is why you would be a better presidential candidate than Donald Trump. When Donald Trump's obviously leading in the polls massively, he continues to widen his polls massively against the Republican challengers, which begs the question, are you paying attention to these presidential candidates on the debate stage that are not Donald J. Trump? And I got to be honest, watching the debate last night, I enjoy debates. I love watching them. We really didn't see a whole lot different this debate than we did the first two debates already. And we're early in the political season. January hasn't even hit yet when the campaigns really ramp up. We're just starting to see, and we've already had three debates and three of them that were essentially all of the exact same. Ron DeSantis is a letdown. Ron DeSantis, to me, in my opinion, is extremely disappointing. He has zero energy. He has some good talking points, but they're no different than any other Republican conservative up there with talking points. So what makes him stand out above anybody else? He's a dud. He's boring. 
and I don't really care to listen to it. I agree with a lot of what he says. I respect what he does. His comment about putting a plane out there to try and bring Americans back from Israel during the conflict, I commend him for that. He does some great work. But does he necessarily stand out as a presidential candidate that has that zing? I don't, I don't really know. He's kind of a boring dude. Uh, some say that because of how far behind all of them are in the polls, that they're all still in the presidential race for a very specific purpose. Ron DeSantis is trying to get his name out there for a run in another four years if Donald Trump or another Democrat gets into the office, that he's kind of positioned himself to run again in uh, another four years, which would make sense because a lot of times presidential candidates, it takes them two or three runs before they actually gain momentum. Donald Trump ran a couple of times before the 2016 election, if you remember that, before he actually gained that traction as well. Mitt Romney ran a few times before he actually got the nomination. So uh, putting his name out there, that's uh, apparently behind the scenes, if you believe some people, that's the plan on why he's still in the race right now. Not to win this one, but to try and get his name out and position himself for a 2028 presidential run, which would be relatively interesting. Tim Scott. Big fan of Tim Scott. He had a couple good points last night, but really didn't stand out and shine. Chris Christie, I've never been a fan of Chris Christie. He's a very moderate rhino guy that's a loudmouth New Jersey type that I just don't get along with. I, I mean, not that I don't get along with New Jersey people. I love, I have a few friends that are out there, uh, but I just don't care for Chris Christie. I've never enjoyed him. He's always been way too moderate for me, way too establishment for me. He had one good time in the entire night last night. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. So it really came down to two, Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, which, by the way, Vivek, I mean, he had the clip of the night again, which everybody's been playing, but he definitely stole the show last night with another one of his very outlandish comments. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're going to rig this election. Your time is accountability. up. Let me turn that's to Governor, Governor Christie. Wow. We've I become mean, a party. Yeah, I mean, that's... That is the most metal <laughs> thing I ever heard in my whole life. I mean, he's not wrong in any of that. And he's absolutely right. It is fascinating to me who we choose for these Republican presidential debates because Lester Holtz, really? Really, Lester Holtz? 
He's an extreme progressive in the mainstream media. Why would we choose someone like that? The most rational person that was on the moderating stage was Hugh Hewitt. And Hugh Hewitt's a moderate Republican. He's not a conservative. He's definitely not a Trump supporter. He almost considers himself a kind of a Democrat or a progressive Republican or a moderate, or however he describes himself. Uh, not a bad guy. Enjoy Hugh Hewitt, but definitely not one of the most conservative guys. But it's a different mentality. When you're on a debate stage with someone that's like-minded, with someone that understands the Republican movement, someone that understands the conservative movement, someone that can dive a little bit deeper into a conservative movement, uh, that can actually ask what conservatives want, as opposed to always playing defense because the questions are angled to try to attack you and sabotage you in a way that uh, you have to be on the defense the entire time. There's a ma- there's a vast difference on how a debate is actually held in that sense. It's a great question. It's a great point. And I, that was a conversation that many had yesterday regarding the presidential or the uh, primaries and the general elections that we had yesterday uh, of the leadership within the Republican Party on why we still have leadership that is very much establishment that hasn't really pushed the Republican Party to where it needs to be to do the fundraising, to focus on the right elections, to get the right candidates. We have a leadership issue. So I think he stole the night that night for sure. On that one, Nikki Haley had a couple decent points as well, although the back and forth between those two is hilarious. And Vivek, i got to give him credit, man. He knows how to go after Nikki. Nikki's been bumping up in the polls a little bit. Not anywhere near Donald Trump, but she's been bumping up in the polls a little bit. And those two have a vast difference on many different issues, showing, like I've said before, I think the major uh, generational difference and political issues. It is very important that we know how to defend our freedoms and how to defeat terrorism and socialism. We have to know the difference between good and evil. We have to know the difference between right and wrong. We need to know that a strong America doesn't start wars, a strong America prevents wars. And the way we can focus on that is to make sure we go back to the soul of America and be strong and proud again. And we can't do that We can't win the fights of the 21st century with politicians from the 20th century. She's part of that, which is, I don't don't know why she actually made that comment, because she's part of that. She is part of the Bush administration. She is part of the United Nations. She's been part of those, which Vivek has been, I think rightfully so, categorizing her as one of those neoconservatives that used to be a big thing. And that type of mentality within the Republican Party has kind of faded away. They touched a lot of issues, uh, whether you liked it, disliked it, whoever thought you won the debate. I haven't seen any polls on who actually won. I don't know that there was necessarily a winner. The person that obviously stood out the most based on um, comments, I guess, would be Vivek Ramaswamy. But that's about it. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot more that happened at that debate that really needs to be mentioned because Donald Trump was just 15 minutes away with a major rally as well, with uh, the media losing their minds over the fact that so many Cubans are showing up to support Donald Trump. No matter how hateful or corrupt the communists and criminals we're fighting against may be, you must never forget this nation does not belong to them. This nation belongs to you. It belongs to the people with us tonight. That's how we won. This is your home, this is your heritage, and our American liberty is your God-given right. That audio from uh, Town Hall Media on the Instagram as well. Uh, He makes a good point. At the same time, he doesn't need to do much. 
The very first question out of the gate for the presidential debate last night was, why would you be a better candidate for Donald uh, than Donald Trump when Donald Trump continues to lead in the polls? And they've thrown everything out from, well, he's all tied up with the legal issues. Chris Christie loved to be able to dig into him. Uh, Nikki Haley, I think, probably had the best answer on that one was he was the right president for the right time. This is not his right time anymore. And if there's any negative talk that you could say about Donald Trump, I guess that would be the best response for that. Outside of that, these candidates don't have a chance to win, and we really have to start recognizing which ones are going to start slowly dropping off and what their motive is at the end of the day to still be in this race right now. Chris Christie knows he's not going to win. He says he's going to win, but of course that's what he has to say on a campaign trail. We have to recognize that he's not going to win a presidential race. He's sitting at 1% or something ridiculous, and his entire purpose is to be there to try to trash Donald Trump and knock him down a couple of pegs. Is it working? Probably not. I don't really see him doing anything. Tim Scott, I think Tim Scott is going to be fantastic somewhere in some type of chair position in the cabinet somewhere, or whether he goes back to the Senate and has the uh, the name recognition now within the Republican Party and the conservatives to be someone that's going to be a high-ranking leader moving down the road because I love Tim Scott. He's a wonderful individual, doesn't have much of a chance to win the presidential election. Not the primary or the general election. He doesn't have that charisma. You have to remember the two things that make someone successful in politics is a good PR team and a lot of money. And he doesn't have a lot of money and he doesn't have the good PR team to make him look as sexy as Barack Obama did uh, for that race to try to appeal to people. He just doesn't have it. Doesn't have it to look like Donald Trump either. Uh, Ron DeSantis, as we mentioned, kind of boring, kind of a dud. Not sure why he's there except for to set him uh, set himself up for another four years uh, to run for president then again. Uh, Nikki Haley is there to try and hold on to the old guard style of republicanism under the Bush administration. And Vivek Ramaswamy is there to be the rebel, to be the one just to be outlandish out there and to try and r- uh, rattle the cage of the Republican Party, which a lot of people love, a lot of people don't like. I think it is necessary within the party right now and to represent that young generation that I will say is resonating with a lot of younger Republicans out there that are looking for that new face and that new leadership within the party. Everybody has their purpose, but Donald Trump's still holding on to it with an iron grip stronghold within that party. Whether that's going to continue, time will tell, but it doesn't look like it's been wavering anytime soon so far. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into it. There's a role for every one of those Republican candidates. The question is, do they have the role as the president of the United States? I really don't think so. They continue to dwindle with Trump running in the lead further and further. Now, I guess there's to say, God forbid, if something happened and Trump's not allowed to run for president, which is what the other side's really, really, really trying to do, then these candidates need to be in that position to be able to take those reins. But I don't know who that's going to be as of right now. I mentioned that I'm no fan of Chris Christie. I've never been a fan of him. Uh, He made, and if you remember, he made his big fame because he did one decent thing in New Jersey. I mean, he's done a couple other things, but he made his big national fame because he took on a lot of labor unions. He took on the education union. He took on the labor unions out there and went after them, which is great. And I commend him for that very much. Outside of that, he's still a very moderate establishment type of guy. 
But what I will say, and he the one moment that he had a very decent moment last night was when they were talking about the ongoing uh, to issue with Israel and with Palestine and some of the hate crimes going on here. Obviously, the Biden administration, Democrats not acknowledging the radical anti-Semitism going on across the nation, which that's another conversation. I've been uh, conversing and debating, not really debating, but just throwing the grenades onto social media on Instagram the last couple of days to argue with some people just to try and get their mindset of how they're trying to process this. And it's a fascinating conversation where I, 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 I'm seeing where they're trying to come from. They're obviously very wrong, but at least I'm trying to understand what their logic is with their thought process. And we'll talk about that a little bit later if we get a chance. But Chris Christie had one good moment, I think, last night where it really led to a position where I think it could lead him to be a vital role in the next administration in this manner to try and uh, create these types of relations between the different individuals in the nation. Lester, I'm the only one on the stage who's actually had experience in dealing with this. I was appointed by President Bush to be the U.S. Attorney in New Jersey on September 10th, 2001. And when I took over that job after the September 11th attacks, I had to deal with a situation in our state that was explosive. We're the most ethnically diverse state in this country. And so first, we heard credible reports about Jewish students and synagogues being threatened in our state in the aftermath of 9-11. We made sure that we sent federal agents to those synagogues and we protected them, and the same thing should be being done now. At the very same time, I personally went from mosque to mosque in New Jersey and met with the leaders of those mosques and with the members of the mosques. And I said to them, law enforcement is on your side to protect you, regardless of your religion, if you are going to comply with the law. And we developed fabulous relationships with Muslim Americans all across the state of New Jersey, and we stopped any hate crimes that were going on either against Jewish Americans in New Jersey or Muslim Americans in New Jersey. It takes leadership, Lester, to know how to do this. You must work with both sides. Both sides need to know it, but let us never have a false moral equivalence between Hamas and Hezbollah and the Jewish people. The Jewish people stand for right and justice, and Hamas and Hezbollah stand for death. It was a great response, and I think one of the best ones that we heard last night when it came to anti-Semitism, when it comes to the Islamophobia, if that's what the Democrats want to focus on, and just hate speech in general across the nation, that's exactly what we need. We need a, a wild concept here, radical opinions from the voice of reason. We need to have relationships with everybody to where we recognize radicalism when it's there. We oust it out of society, and we have a great working relationship with everybody within our communities to make them show and know and understand that they're loved, that they're appreciated, and that we have this amazing nation called the United States that values freedom of opinion, that values the freedom for religion, that values differences because we are the melting pot. We are the mosaic, if some people want to call it that. We are the greatest nation on the face of the earth like that. We do not tolerate any form of hate. And yes, racism is racism if you judge based on race, regardless of what that race may be. Close-minded bigotedness to a religion is close-minded bigotedness to anybody if you judge them based on their religion. And that crap's got to stop. Period. End of story. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
When Reason Meets Radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I know that last thing that we said right before we went to break. That's a very hippie thing for you to say, Andy. I know. Peace and love, bro. It's <laughs> what we do on this show, right? Welcome back into it. All over the place, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time on all of our great radio stations. As well. uh, But it is true, right? We don't tolerate the hate here. And while we're recognizing the fact that there is insane amounts of anti-Semitic comments and actions going on across the nation, the Democrats put the blind eyes on it. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Nothing to see here. Move along is what they're promoting while they talk about Islamofascism or Islamophobia or whatever the hell they want to call it, which, you know what, yes, both are bad, both are not accepted, both are not tolerated in this nation, and how do you solve that? You, I don't know, create a community where you can actually talk together and actually uh, converse together to where we don't have those wanting to hate on one another. And the progressives, coincidentally, like to divide us and put us in our little boxes through the identity politics and keep that division going on while they're like, oh, you don't see anything going on. Yeah, and that's just, that's what you do. Accept it. Don't act like you're not impressed. Just admit it. That's right. Let's get into our What's Trending. What do you say? What's Trending Today. We'll get back to some of the debate recap stuff later on, but I want to shift gears a little bit because one of the topics that was brought up during the debate last night was interesting about high gas prices and the inflation under the Biden administration. And they asked the candidates on what they would do about it, which, uh, I mean, all the All the answers were good. The response from the moderators was kind of interesting that we'll talk about later on as well. But to talk about some of that, with the ongoing battle against climate, the inflation that we're seeing under the Bidenomics, the high gas prices, although gas has gone down a little bit for the last few days, is that going to maintain? That's set to behold as well. Excited to have on the program to talk about that and so much more. He manages C-Fact, which you can find online at cfacta.org, also with climatedepot.com. He's also the author of numerous books, including The Great Reset, Global Elites, and The Permanent Lockdown. Excited to have back on the program, Mr. Mark Morano. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Andy. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm excited to have, have you on here. There's, there's a lot to break down with all of this, but the energy market has been interesting in the stock market lately. The I had to laugh at the debate last night where they – had talked about what to do to bring down inflation and bring down gas prices, and the moderators themselves didn't even get what the Republicans were talking about when they're like, oh, these are all like long-term fixes, but what are you going to do for the immediate actions here when we already know what needs to be done, don't we, Mark? We do. Uh, since, since Joe Biden was sworn in in January of 2021, there have been at least 140 administrative actions to restrict domestic oil and any kind of energy extraction in the United States. And that, you were talking about energy markets. You want to send a signal to energy markets. There's nothing more devastating than basically restricting supply and coming up with shortages. And uh, and and that, that has the effect of turning the prices rapidly inflationary. And his rhetoric, you know, coming in and on top of that saying, we're going to work it out, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. On top of that, you have all the mandates, which they've been doing, uh, banning gas-powered cars through the EPA. All this is done without a democracy. And you get a perfect storm of high inflation, high debt. You have the Russia, Ukraine, and then, of course, you have the Europe needing energy, and then we're exporting it more, but there's less of a pie here, as, you know, especially the Nord Stream pipeline blowing up. It just goes on and on. It's been a perfect mess 
since 2021 of energy. It, what's amazing is we came at the end of the Trump administration, we were energy dominant in the world. The highest, um, uh, more energy production than consumption. For the first time, Terry Truman was president mm. in 1952. That's how significant we've fallen. It is unfortunate. And like you said, it is perfectly timed with what they've done and how they've manipulated the market to drain our energy reserves while they were trying to keep it artificially low for the last couple of years yes. with gas prices. Then the dependency on OPEC, the conflict in uh, in Russia and Ukraine, the conflict with Israel and the Middle East now. It's all perfectly timed. Then you throw in, let's throw in cars right now in the price of vehicles. We saw the shortage in computer chips for vehicles that raise prices. Then we had the auto strike that we just saw for the past six weeks where we see a major hike in uh, salaries and benefits and so on and so forth, raising the price of vehicles up another $1,000 on average, according to these auto dealers right now. It's like they're trying to price us out of being able to afford a vehicle, so just go buy a $100,000 electric car because that'll make it all better. Yeah, no, it's very simple what they're doing. I mean, this is the intentional collapse of the freedom of movement and of uh, gas-powered cars. They're literally, that was without a vote, California Executive Order, California Air Resources Board, 22 states trigger law, the Biden EPA doing this through, through the EPA without an ounce of democracy. Congress never voted to ban gas-powered cars. The EV mandates that they're imposing aren't doable. I have every major CEO, every Western automaker saying that EVs are sitting on our lot. This isn't working. We're, we're hemorrhaging. We're not making money off these. We're losing money. And it doesn't matter because the goal isn't for people to make money off of it. It isn't for EVs to take over. The goal is vehicle shortages because vehicle shortages are good for the climate. They force people home. They force us into mass transit. They affect our feet of movement. They come up with 15-minute cities. We have a city in uh, near uh, Phoenix, Arizona, this experimental little town, a 1,000 residents, no cars. Their goal is to get go after our freedom of movement, and that's they smile when you say car prices are going up. That's great because they don't want people to buy cars. They've questioned the entire premise of private car ownership as not being compatible with a climate emergency. Boris Johnson, transportation secretary in UK, actually stated owning a car was outdated 20th century thinking. In a climate emergency, you can't do that. Wow. Uh, I, you, you blew my mind. I didn't even heard about the little community in Arizona uh, uh, you said a thousand people Tempe. is a social a social experiment. Yes, it's near Tempe, Arizona. If you go to Climate Depot, my website, uh, I have the article on it. Thousand people, no cars. It's a little uh, looks like a commune. You'd find maybe in the late 1960s. It's that kind of ideology driving this. They think by living that way, that's their sacrifice for their religion that somehow the earth is going to smile and we're going to have less hurricanes and they're doing the right thing and they're going to have this utopian vision of life. But and that's fine if people want to voluntarily choose that. But we're not talking, everything I just mentioned previously, none of this is voluntary. It's the intentional collapse of our high-yield agriculture. They're going after meat-eating. John Kerry's already announced that they've done this in the Netherlands. They're going after Australia and Canada. They're approving lab-grown meat grown in steel vats from stem cells and fetal blood of these these blobs derived from animals without eyes, brains. Bill Gates, number one farmland owner, just got the USDA to approve lab-grown meat for human consumption in the United States. 
And this is done by printing it on a 3D printer when you're done with all sorts of coloring, additives, stuff for texture. And, of course, they're pushing insect eating. Once again, none of this is voluntary. We never have. Do you remember Congress voting on we will have insect eating? We will ban the gas-powered car. We will go after agriculture. We will not allow meat eating. None of it happened. It's all being done by our betters to save us the same way we never voted on church closures, on vaccine mandates, mask mandates, school closures, stay-at-home orders, uh, canceling of weddings and funerals, medical procedures canceled. We didn't vote on any of it because they were done by credentialed experts who were smarter than us and were and we're trying to save us. And that's literally what we're dealing with here in the classroom. Yeah. Well, remember, we have to trust the science, which was Dr. Fauci at the time. We trust the science because now that he retired, yeah. science apparently retired as well. But we just have to shut up and just try to go along with what they say. Uh, it sounds like such a conspiratorial 1984 book, but this stuff isn't theoretical. It's actually <laughs> happening right before our eyes, isn't it? It is. And I, Kim, I both did a great reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. And here's the key. Nothing in my book is like, I have secret sources and I have anonymous documents and I can't <laughs> reveal it. No, everything I say is this is what the New York Times has said. This is what the Washington Post. This is what the Department of Agriculture. This is what the World Economic. This is what the United Nations. It's, this is what world leads. I mean, I quote them, cite them, footnote them. You don't need a conspiracy when it's out in the open. And all of this is being stated. This is essentially turning the one free West into Chinese-style one-party authoritarianism. That's what COVID emergency did. It gave dictatorial powers to every mayor, governor. Most consequential decisions of our lifetime didn't need a vote. Now they're trying to push a climate emergency where Joe Biden would get 140 executive powers added, and you wouldn't have to have a vote on things like continuing the collapse of energy and, and, and transportation, food. And by the way, free speech is wrapped up because if you speak out, against, say, a vaccine, you're now providing misinformation that could kill people. That's dangerous. You need to be censored. If you say there's no climate emergency, that means you could interfere with climate solutions like solar panels, and you will be censored. So this is the world we've created, and it's an amazing thing to watch because democracy need not apply. And the Republican Party generally is clueless. Now, I love Vivek Ramaswamy. Ron DeSantis gets the COVID stuff. Donald Trump gets a lot of it. But uh, and RFK Jr. gets a lot of it. But in terms of like national Republican leaders like Kevin McCarthy or even the new House Speaker, I just don't think they're tuned in to how this is all happening without any democracy. Yeah, that is very true. It's a very scary thought. We're talking with Mark Morano. You can see him at cfact.org. You can see all the stuff. Uh, real quick, and we got about 30, 45 seconds here, Mark, but talk about your upcoming press conference on Tuesday next week. And, and I'm assuming that this is going to be kind of a topic of discussion on what you guys are releasing. Yes, this is, uh, this is amazing because it includes the last year's 2022 Nobel Prize-winning physicist, first public appearance in the United States that I'm aware of. He's going to be speaking out on the latest to climate science. He's already calling it essentially a scam. For his efforts, he's already been uninvited and silenced and censored by the International Monetary Fund, where he was scheduled to give a big climate talk, and they found out, oh, my God, he's a skeptic. This will be in Baltimore, the Four Seasons Hotel, November 14th, 1 to 3 p.m. It'll be live-streamed. Go to churchmilitantwebsite.com, churchmilitant.com, also climatedepot.com. I'll have it up there. But it's November 14th, 1 to 3, and it'll include... Uh, Alex Newman, myself, Michael Voris of the Church Militant, and John Clouser, Nobel Prize winning scientist. Uh, we're going about the Pope and uh, the Pope wading into climate science. I love it. A lot of great information, Mark. We appreciate it, my friend. Keep up the fight. We'll get you back on the show again real soon. Got to take a break here. It's the Voice of Reason. Stay right here. With Andy Hoosier.
fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes here of the program. Thanks again to Mark Morano coming on the show. Great information. We were going to try and keep him over another segment, but he was literally walking into the Fox News studios as, as we were talking. So I uh, had to cut that one short, but we appreciate it. See, that's what we do. We talk to the guests and then they go on to bigger and better things. We are the launching pad for every awesome guest. We've done that with a few of them. Gregory Wrightstone, CO2 Coalition. We were the first ones to interview him. Then everybody else started jumping on board as well. Why? Because we're awesome like that. Welcome back into the show again. You can find his information with his uh, site, CFAX, C-F-A-C-T.org. Also, the website at climatedepot.com. Uh, I had to look it up after he mentioned this, but the social experiment city that is in the state of Arizona, this, this environmentally friendly, this net neutral climate, whatever type of city. Apparently, it's a city, according to 12news.com, it's a city called Cul-de-Sac. The first ever agreement between a developer and a city for zero residential parking centered around innovative living and sustainability. It is the first ever uh, in its of its time named Cul-de-Sac is a community in Tempe, Arizona, where you won't see any cars, they say. This has been a dream in the making, according to Aaron Boyd, that leads the government and external affairs. Quote, we have a completely walkable neighborhood because instead of having a parking lot, we have places for people to shop, to enjoy hanging out with each other, and a whole load of ways to get around beyond private vehicles. As they say, electric bikes are that number one way to do so. What? <laughs> there it is. There it is. I am curious with this social experiment that they have that's cul-de-sac Arizona that has a 1,000 people in this one just outside of Tempe, Arizona, with no vehicles and with these electric bikes and how they're trying to make everything green and sustainable in this nice little city that is this social experiment, this 15-minute city of what they're trying across the entire, uh, really the entire globe, of I'm curious on how much electricity that city's going to be pumping out and using. I'm curious on what the electric demand is going to be in this city because I'm assuming that if they're going zero vehicles, trying to be completely sustainable, they have electric uh, scooters or electric bikes. That means they're going to have to charge them. I am assuming that because if they're going that drastic when they built the town, they probably do not have any natural gas stoves or furnaces in their homes as well. It's all electric. So I'm curious now on how much of an electric burden that city is going to be for those thousand plus residents that actually live there. Now, I'm assuming that we probably won't get any of that information out, even though this this was launched, uh, according to this news article, this was July of this year. So it's relatively new after three years in the making of trying to make this happen. Uh, it's going to take a few years for us to get all that information. But then I guarantee you, and you can put money on it, remember this moment in time here on The Voice of Reason, when I doubt that we will ever see any of that information. Unless it's the information that they want us to see on look how sustainable and look how awesome it is with the low utility rates or low usage. But we all know that that's not going to be the case. If they're charging their bikes and charging their scooters and charging their house and charging their furnace and charging their stove with all the electricity, what that electric burden is going to be. And when we do start seeing brown and blackouts during the summertime, especially when it's 120 degrees in Arizona, when if they're going to be the first ones that start seeing the electricity fade in and out. I, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But that is interesting. I was not aware of that city. 
And if that's the direction that we're going to see across the nation, then get ready for it because this is going to be the battle moving forward. This green new energy, this green new movement, the green new deal that they're pushing from the Biden administration, these radicals with the B squad and other places, this is going to be their focal point and they're going to use this as the example for their launching pad moving forward. That being said, as we go into elections next year, there was the big headline that we saw with our latest in What's Trending. What's trending today? That West Virginia U.S. Senator Joe Manchin has officially announced that he will not be seeking re-election for next year. After months of deliberation and long conversation with my family, I believe in my heart of hearts that I have accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. I've made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. To the West Virginians who have put their trust in me and fought side by side to make our state better, it has been my honor of my life to serve you. Thank you. Get ready for another big battle in West Virginia. He was one of the last moderate Democrats that was even open to having conversations with Republicans on numerous issues, and he's the one that stopped the Green New Deal. He's the one that stopped the first infrastructure Biden bailout plan. He's the one that stopped the Biden administration, and the Democrats have gotten their way to run him out and not let him run for office again. That's going to open up a wide Pandora's box of more progressive candidates trying to jump in and take that seat, and we got to be prepared for that in 2024. That does it for us today. Back at it again tomorrow for a Friday to wrap up the week for you. Until then, this is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.